This episode is sponsored by Agent CRM. If you're in sales and tired of paying three, four, or five different companies for your email, CRM, funnels, phone, follow-up automation, check out Agent CRM. It's an all-in-one tool that combines all that you need to reach out, nurture, and close your clients. They've got weekly support calls so you can get up and running in no time. Get a free 14-day trial by going to the link below in the show notes. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Attorney Dan with the Intentional Entrepreneur Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, one of my colleagues. Uh, she is the founder of Stone Law Firm in Long Beach to empower business owners and implement best business and employment law practices in order to reduce the risk of costly legal problems down the road. She built her career uh, as an employment and business litigator, seeing firsthand the true cost of poor business practices. Um, they take a preventative law approach and is focused uh, to formally, um, for properly formed businesses, well-drafted contracts, intellectual property protection, and best HR practices for its clients. Ashley is a regular speaker and passionate supporter of local entrepreneurs through One Million Cups, Long Beach, Downtown Long Beach Alliance, and Cal State University, uh, Long Beach Institute for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Please welcome my friend and my guest, Ashley Stone. Hi, Dan. It's so great to join you today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And obviously, we, uh, we are kind of still in the middle of the pandemic, but kind of on the tail end of, um, of the harder economic portions. And through that time, I know a lot of business owners um, had to get out of their leases and had to kind of suffer through some of those particular uh, unforeseen uh, consequences. But as we're seeing at this time, they're kind of getting revamped, getting their feet back underneath them and getting into uh, new leases, new retail spaces, new office spaces, what have you. And so um, before, but before we get into all of this, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you got into this area of law? Sure. Um, I've, I've been in the legal profession. It was my first job out of high school. I've been in the legal mm. profession for 21 years, actually. And I've been a licensed attorney for 11 or so years now. And the first uh, six years of that was spent as a dedicated litigator. So I was suing businesses for unlawful wage and hour practices, unlawful business practices. Um, and then six years ago, went out on my own to uh, start my own practice. And uh, it was mitigated, you know, I just wanted um, more control over my life, more quality of life, really litigation's difficult. And while I still do it for my clients when it comes across my desk, I wanted to kind of switch gears and help use what I had learned to help empower business owners so that they don't have to hopefully ever see the inside of a courtroom. Right, right, and, and you know, that, that's kind of, I felt the same. I didn't practice litigation as much as, much as you did, but I, I felt that I, I was better suited and better served my clients on kind of more preventative law and that particular mm-hmm. side of the, um, uh, uh, that side of the aisle, so to speak. But, you know, before we, before we started recording, you mentioned um, specifically real, real estate law and, and how come you kind of fell into your lap. Can you share a little bit about that, that particular path? Yeah. So, you know, I, I never set out to do commercial work, but working with business owners, I just started to get a lot of requests for commercial lease reviews and have since I do them regularly and have seen a lot of 
I've, I've had a lot of matters that have involved situations where things don't go the way that maybe the business owner had expected disputes over deposits, like before a lease is finalized or a default where a lawsuit's actually filed against the business owner. And most recently, I just finalized a lease termination agreement for somebody who was in behind on their rent during COVID. And the best path forward was just to negotiate um, uh, a way to pay, just pay off that lease and, and move on. Right, so I've right. kind of, I've seen it, I've seen it all. I've seen a lot of do's and I've seen a lot of don'ts also. So I feel well poised to share on this topic. All right. And that's what we're going to get in today. Kind of do's and don'ts, practical tips for your next, um, for your next lease negotiation. So can you, can you share with us, um, you know, maybe your most practical ideas for business owners getting to their next lease? Yeah, so I would just say first and foremost um, is read it. And I know that sounds maybe, I don't mean it in a patronizing way, but these are really um, technical and they're six figure contracts. These are very expensive contracts for your business to enter into. It's most likely the most valuable and high value um, contract that your business is going to enter into, particularly as a, maybe a, a new, newer business or establishing business. And you want to invest in proper counsel on this contract. So have an attorney who's familiar with this area, familiar with your industry to be able to read it and share their red flags. Because the thing is, is that while there are some standard leases out there, every lease that I see is different and they are really drafted in the favor of the landlord. So this contract is not on its own designed to benefit you. It's designed to benefit and protect the landlord and provide um, uh, guidance and provisions on a variety of scenarios. So you really have to walk into these contracts and sign them knowing exactly what is going to happen on a variety of scenarios and exactly what the fees are. So just most, most commonly like what the rent is, are there going to be common area expenses? Like, is it a triple net lease for commercial space where not only you're paying rent, but also the maintenance, taxes, business expenses for the owner? Um, so you have to know how much the rent's going to be, but what all of the fees are going to be too, because if you miscalculate that, that can have really significant, significant consequences on what your bottom line is on a month to month basis. Speaking of fees, what are your thoughts on landlords that uh, take a percentage of revenue based on uh, for your for your rent? I have never seen that, and I would not like that. I would I would really push against that to try and negotiate a way around that. And I've seen a lot of aggressive leases, but I have never seen something that's actually proposed. But I would um, I would not want to agree to that. It, it's probably a scenario where the rent's super favorable and maybe they see mm -hmm. high potential and the, the business um, uh, profit profitability of that of that tenant. But I would just say it's worth um, paying higher upfront for the rent mm -hmm. than giving essentially equity. You know, I mean, it's not mm -hmm. really equity, but a profit share to your landlord. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't advise against that unless you really had to. It had to be a gem of a space in order to agree to that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what else is on your list on, on practical ideas for uh, leases up in this uh, coming up year? Yeah. So another thing that I want uh, to bring to everyone's attention really is, is the concept of a guarantee. Um, 
it's a rare occasion where you are not going to be required as the business owner to be a personal guarantor. So even in a scenario where you're a tenant, say you're a business that has some sort of legal structure, an LLC, you're a corporation, you have um, a separate business entity, and that is the the party that's going to be signing the lease, Um, you as the owner is still very likely, I would say 99.9% is going to be asked to be a personal guarantor for the lease. And so why do landlords do this? It, it basically allows, it makes whoever the guarantor is, um, whoever is signed as a guarantor will be financially responsible for the full value of the lease in the event that the business goes under. And so as you can imagine, this happens often enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it in a couple of scenarios. And so one thing to note is the own all owners of the business Uh, members of the LLC or shareholders of the corporation are likely going to be required to be a a personal guarantor. Now, um, I actually had a client that um, had um, a nail salon and ended up going under, but it was in a big um, mall in Los Angeles and a big shopping center in Los Angeles. And one of the owners had left the business and Eve, maybe two years prior to the default, That one ended up getting filed um, as a lawsuit, but the partner who had since left the business several years back was named in the lawsuit because he was a personal guarantor. And so you really have to have a well-drafted and articulate contract between the partners to flesh out who exactly would be financially responsible to cover that exiting partner's responsibility, right? Because you are on the hook and it's very unlikely that a landlord is going to have a guarantor removed, even in the scenario where they are leaving the business. Of course, it's always worth asking for um, that to be negotiated, but once you're on, it's really difficult. Um, the, the landlord's not inclined to, um, to take somebody off because it's, it's, uh, it gives them the opportunity to become whole if there's a default there. Um, yeah. So it's, it's very important. Now I, I have seen on a rare occasion where the person or the business is not required to be a personal guarantor. You have to have very established credit. You have to have really proven business income, mm-hmm. uh, or you can also offer And this. I, it cannot hurt to ask. You have to ask, particularly when it comes to commercial lease negotiations, um, you can ask to put an additional deposit down to mm. not to remove the requirement of a personal guarantor. I haven't seen this like in practical applications granted um, all that often, but it's worth to ask just because if you are personally responsible as an individual, that means that they can go over any of your go after any of your personal assets if things really do um, get to the point where you're on the hook for that. And again, these are very expensive contracts. Right. And in the scenario where, you know, the, the former business partner I was named in the lawsuit and, and you mentioned having the partners at the time of exit kind of hash out the details, uh, would that be an indemnification by the remaining owner uh, to yes. be responsible? Yeah, exactly. So you would want a well-drafted indemnification agreement mm-hmm. to basically agree that the company will provide or pay, cover any any liabilities for the exiting partner. But again, that is factoring in a certain level of financial viability of the business. So if it goes mm-hmm. under an indemnification clause, uh, while on paper is what you want. 
maybe it doesn't have it have in, in the practical effect in reality will provide that level of protection. In the case of my client, fortunately, um, you know, that that exiting partner didn't engage himself and they were able to resolve it. Um, but I'm just thinking if if the, the other remaining partners hadn't been able to cover that, then that would have been, I think, more of an issue. Right. So, you know, along the lines of indemnity, it's it's only as good as the that particular party that is indemnifying the other partner, right? So if, that, yeah. if they go financially belly up with the company or those particular partners, then that kind of just goes out the window, right? Absolutely. And actually, um, it touches on something else that I wanted to mention, because in that particular scenario, they defaulted. So a lawsuit was filed, and we attempted to negotiate pre-litigation. The landlord ended up filing a lawsuit, and it was, um, it was oh, no, this is a scenario. I actually wasn't involved pre-litigation. It came to me filed already, and the time to respond to the answer uh, to the complaint had lapsed already. So they had defaulted. And so even in a scenario, um, you know, maybe there was a, and even if there was an indemnification clause, they still, the landlord still was going to be able to go after the exiting partner because they defaulted on mm-hmm. the, by failing to respond timely to the complaint. So there's a lot of moving parts. And that just one thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, you really want to pay attention and act very promptly if a worst case scenario happens and a lawsuit is filed. Right, right. And we can address uh, defaults and 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 because I wanted to actually th- ask this particular question. Um, how about when the businesses are sold, retail businesses are sold, and there's a lease that is involved, and obviously the landlord has to approve the the business buyer, uh, mm-hmm. uh, at, you know, the individual, right? Assuming it's a let's just say it's a stock sale, even as an asset sale, the landlord still has to go through its normal um, application process but normally they will keep the um the existing or the selling business owner uh personally guaranteeing um the the lease for the for the buyer now does that does can that be extinguished over a certain amount of time like say hey over five years or for maybe one term of the lease that the selling business owner will be will be um personally guaranteed but after a certain amount of time they'll be off the hook Yeah, that's a really interesting scenario. Um, I would, again, make sure that there's a really good indemnification um, agreement or clause set forth in that. So if the new business defaults that, you know, there is some sort of protection. I had a scenario um, arise with another client where they were actually able, I have seen it pretty commonly where the landlords are willing just to create an entirely new lease for the, the new party who is coming in and basically terminate the prior lease. Um, so you just want to ensure and include if you are doing um, a business sale, asset transfer, whatever it is, um, in the letter of intent that that would essentially be a prerequisite to have the um, the landlord approve, you know, the, the whole deal would have to be contingent upon that happening. That would be a best case scenario. And so that, that's something that I would I would want that the landlord um, as a prereq, you know, is introduced during your due diligence process and that the incoming tenant would have to be approved and take over everything. All right. Fantastic. So uh, what else what else you got for us? 
Oh, that is, uh, that's a really good question. So let's see, um, in the event that you actually do get behind on your rent, mm -hmm. I know it can be a really stressful situation, but you want to maintain and keep in constant contact with your landlord and create an active and open dialogue to try and uh, resolve it, whether it be a payment plan to get up to speed um, or even some sort of forgiveness. If things do get to a place where based upon what's best in the best interest of your business, if you want to um, end up terminating the lease, what you really are angling for is a lease termination agreement. Mm. And if you're really getting in yourselves, if you're finding your business in a situation where you're just so far behind, maybe businesses not great. Maybe the dem like the I've seen this with um, clients too. COVID really changed a lot of business districts. I'm in Long Beach, and um, you know things have have changed a lot. And so maybe it, it's now not really a dis it's now it's an undesirable location for the business. Or maybe your business model has changed and gone. You know, uh, you know, e-commerce and you don't really need a, a retail space anymore. It's not making business sense. Get a, a really good commercial attorney on your team just to, um, because as well intended as you might be to start the ball rolling with negotiating the lease. Again, these are six figure contracts and you really want to set yourself up for success in trying to reach the most favorable term. And getting counsel early, good counsel early on that whole negotiation process, the sooner the better. Because um, it's really difficult, if not impossible, for an attorney to walk back offers and things you've already agreed to that may not even be in your best interest. And that may not be, um, you know, there are learning curves to everything. And it's very unlikely that you've gone through a lease termination before. So just get good counsel early. Um, spe speaking of counsel, I know a lot of business owners, when they're looking for space, they reach out to an agent first. So can you talk about how attorneys like yourself may or may not work with, uh, you know, commercial agents in trying to get them the best terms? Yeah, um, I would say that agents, their specialty is knowing what market rates are. When I receive a commercial lease, I'm not I have no feedback in terms of what the number is, what the campies are or anything like that. My insight is actually on what the, what the lease says. And again, they, they vary wildly amongst, amongst landlords and some are, I, just the ones that I've seen most recently are even more in favor of the landlord. There was actually a 1542, just full liability release in the um in the the commercial lease on the front end which you know wow. on the front end yeah so yeah. they're waiving any and all claims against the landlord at the beginning of the lease which is totally rendering them exposed if anything may arise mm -hmm. during the lease and so i mean so I'm, I'm curious so for for the listeners who don't know what 1542 is it's basically a blanket waiver so it's like any claims that either party has had prior to entering this negotiate uh, into this agreement, they waive those particular claims. So I'm curious, like you say, say discrimination claims, right? Like if, if there was a discrimination issue, but the, the lease had this 1542 waiver in it is, is that type of claim, I guess, waivable, right. Um, in these particular scenarios. Um, let's see a DFEH claim yeah. waivable. I think so. I mean, you know, you, I feel like this is a little bar test, but yeah, I mean, 
And really the point is, is that it has a very broad scope of releasing claims that are known and unknown. And Mm -hmm. so I had never seen that before. And I I don't know if it speaks to trends right now that landlords are really feeling the repercussions of COVID and maybe they're taking even extra steps to protect themselves. But the value of having an attorney look at it versus an agent is that I'm going to go in and look at ambiguous language, things that are not clear. And then from there, I'll be able to provide information either to the potential tenant, like my client or the agent to get clarification from the landlord, because it's one thing for it to say something, a clause can, you know, you have to make sure that the language is very clear to you mm-hmm. so that it, everyone's on the same page, because that's the benefit of any contract. Commercial lease is a contract, right? Uh, when it's well drafted, it gets everyone on the same page. So there's no miscommunications. And when you're really reviewing a commercial lease on the front end before you sign it, you there's no there's no nothing that will protect you from, oh, well, I didn't know that it said that or I didn't understand that part. Right. And so you really want to go through it with the finest tooth comb to make sure that you understand the implication of every word. And I know that sounds a little much, but it really matters because oftentimes these leases are drafted by the landlord landlord themselves. And and so they're not maybe even drafted by an attorney or maybe they are, and maybe the language is still really unclear and ambiguous and can be applied in different ways. So you just want to make sure that everything's really clear and plainly worded. Um, And, you know, you have to ask because Uh, it's important to not make any assumptions because maybe you've had conversations with your agent, with the landlord, with whoever showed you the viewing, and you've heard different things. Uh, A lease and uh, the term will be included in this, that everything that was discussed leading up to you signing that lease is now incorporated and what the lease says is what stands. So if there are new fees in the lease, for example, but it wasn't mentioned to you during your tour or any point leading up to it, you're still on the hook for that. You can't just say, oh, well, nobody mentioned that. So this shouldn't apply to me. You want to make sure that everything is included. Um, And that actually brings up something that has happened is that you should not rely. You have to do your own homework. Mm -hmm. So don't rely on what Uh, somebody has told you, particularly in terms of the zoning that I had a client have an issue where they were getting into the cannabis space and they um, put a a sizable deposit down on a commercial space in Downey. And it turned out that it was not zoned for the business that they intended to open. And it turned into a whole thing about trying to get this sizable lease back because the landlord gave them the tour, said, oh yeah, you're good, but they didn't do their homework. And so When it comes to business licensing and zoning, those are two areas where you have to double check. So look, when you, um, you can look up zoning maps to make sure that where you're intending to move in is going to be, you're going to be able to get your, your business license because if you can't, um, or you open a business that isn't zoned or you can't get a business license, it matters because depending on what it is, and I have clients in the cannabis space. Um, you can't just open up a business that isn't what your business license says it is. You can get in, you can get in real trouble. And I've seen businesses have, you know, be shut down essentially. And that those are in more extreme cases, but, um, you know, this matters with, you know, the health, if it's a food business, if you have to deal with health code, what 
the business license is approved um, for the space that matters, that matters. And that's connected to zoning. So it's all part of all of your homework that you need to be doing before you sign the lease. Right. And 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 can all falls are under, under due diligence. And as you know, as, as business transactions attorneys, um, sometimes we do get a bad rap of like of deal killers. But I think mm. it's it's not it's it, you know it's our responsibility, right, to make make clients aware of particular issues. They have the ultimate decision making authority, but it's it's our responsibility so that they can make uh, an informed decision. But wanted to ask you in particular, how do you work with your clients in in situations where like um, like hey, this is a really bad. Uh, you know, and you, obviously you're not trying to kill it, but you, you got to give them some perspective. And because as, as, as business owners, especially something as big as a big of a domino as a retail space, it's like that gives them a lot of momentum into the business, right? Once they've scaled it. But if, if that doesn't get knocked over, everything is stalled. So I wanted to ask kind of how do you, how do you walk that delicate line with your, when advising your clients on whether or not to take a particular space? Yeah, well, you know, don't become a business attorney if you don't want to be the resident party pooper. Um, you know, I definitely am accustomed to giving bad news. I'm not saying that that happens all that often, but you're absolutely right. As an attorney, we're there to help our clients make an informed decision. And a worst case scenario would be is if they sign a lease and then an issue arises and then there was a miscommunication, even with me, I wanted my goals to make sure that my clients know exactly everything that is in the lease, the, 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 the material terms. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, if they still are feeling bold, um, then they can move forward with it. I think that it's kind of, um, you know, you have to have a high level of confidence for this particular contract. And if I've done my job, they kind of know what the requirements are, but what happens in a variety of, of scenarios. All right. We have Ashley Stone from Stone Law Firm talking about negotiating your next uh, lease agreement. Um, now, is there anything else that you wanted to add to this fantastic conversation? You know, just uh, make sure that you're, you're as strong, your business is as strong as your team. And so I would just say, have a really good attorney that is going to, you know, make sure that you uh, can have confidence in, in what you're doing for your business, because it's very tempting to wear all of the hats and, um, you know, there's a lot of confidence that comes into mind when you're getting um, really good counsel. So, you know, yeah. that's what, that's what we're here for. We love doing what we do, uh, and helping work with businesses. And there's so many different moving parts. The benefit of also having, um, an experienced, uh, business attorney that does a lot of commercial work is that they know what the field looks like. And so we have that institutional knowledge of kind of like, well, this is really uncommon, or this is common. You don't know that as somebody who's just entering into a lease. So you can see if it's really unusual or not. And I think that there's a benefit to that. And, and would you say what's common uh, varies by even by county or even city, uh, maybe even even plaza, right? Maybe LA County is very common to have something else versus Orange County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And industries too. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of different implications depending on what the industry is. And I work with a variety of, you know, of industries kind of across the board. And so, you know, you just, if you're in the health kind of the food space, um, or if you're in the cannabis space, you know, you need really specialized counsel there, but 
but yeah, it's good to know, um, what the culture is, uh, with your location. It matters. All right. We're at the end here with Ashley Stone with uh, Stone Law Firm. And uh, as, as yourself, as an entrepreneur and business owner, I usually like to end this particular interview with rapid fire questions. So just answer the first, the first thing that pops in your mind. Is that okay? Shoot. All right. Um, who do you look up to? Oh my gosh. Uh, who do I look up to? There are so many different people, but Jack Canfield, actually, I might be yeah, Jack Canfield is a really kind of a really important person for me in terms of, uh, of personal development, actually. Yeah. For those of you who don't know Jack Canfield, he's one of the authors of Chicken Soup for the Soul and and the entire entire line of that pops out of all of that. Um, and the Success Principles, which was actually the, the book that, I, that is worth a read for anyone. Fantastic. Um, what's the best but what's the best business book you've ever read? Oh, Success Principles by Jack Canfield, actually. Yeah, and that's just more business and life. All right. What's the best business advice you've ever received? Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know. Just read the fine print. <laughs> All right. That's actually really good. I mean, kind of uh, very practical if you think, think about it. It's not some profound, you know, it, inspirational quote, but it's, it's uh, practical at, at any particular level. It seemed fitting for this, but also I would just say, follow your passion. Honestly, it's very, yeah. it's very simple, but follow your passion. Anything business is so difficult and so challenging that you really have to have that fire and drive to like get through all the highs and lows. All right. Um, if you could do one thing over again, what would it be? Oh, um, what would I, I probably would not become a litigator and uh, <laughs> I still do it and it's very important work, but mm -hmm. oh boy, it's challenging. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do bet it, it uh, obviously it would serve your client. Well, knowing litigation and having that experience makes you a better transactional attorney. It does. And I still do it because lawsuits come across my desk as, you know, because the human condition is fascinating and a lot of variables are at play. So, um, yeah, I often have not often, but not infrequently, I have lawsuits come across my desk through clients and I'm there to basically help provide full service protection for them when, you know, hopefully to prevent a lawsuit from being filed, but especially when things hit the, hit the fan. All right. Uh, what's the biggest bit, uh, challenge in your business today? Oh, learning how to delegate. I think that as attorneys, we're control freaks, particularly being <laughs> a solo. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're in, we're just taught to, we have to do everything. There's this expectation that we are superhuman. And so for me, I have really, um, it's been a learning curve to delegate, but I have a paralegal. I, um, I have a business paralegal. I just got a law law clerk this year and um i have a trademark paralegal also so i am doing that but i had a daughter in 2020 and so just trying to reincorporate my new life with my law practice has kind of forced me mm -hmm. to delegate so i should have done it a long time ago <laughs> all right and um you lose everything the only thing you have is your computer your cell phone and the internet how do you rebuild your business in 30 days Oh, I don't. Peace out. <laughs> Thank you for the answer. Yeah, no, I mean, totally makes sense. Except, you know, it's, it's, uh, thank you for the truthful, uh, you know, being very frank. Yeah. I love what yeah. I do, but you know, 
there there are other paths I think that lie ahead. Everyone has different chapters in life, and this is yeah. the chapter right now. All right. Thank you again, Ashley Stone, for jumping on with us, talking about how to negotiate your next lease agreement. Now, if we want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, you can email me at ashley at stonelawfirmpc.com, or you can just give me a call 562-294-3215. And my website is stonelawfirmpc.com. All right. I'll put that information on the show notes. Thank you again for your time. And uh, you know, we'll talk soon. My pleasure. Take care, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity.